Welcome back to the train wreck that is Brian and Heather building their dream home. The last time we saw the couple, they had just agreed to hire Derek to be their builder. As the expenses continue to roll in and their cash flow gets tighter, they were relieved to find Derek, this builder, through a local Facebook group. He's been doing production building in the Burbs for years now, and he's ready to venture out on his own. Brian and Heather are ready to be his first client and reap the discounts and deals he's offering. His bid came in way lower than the builders that Rick, that Rick recommended. But with the house plans Rick created being much larger than they anticipated, they are confident this is one decision they can make without the designer. Brian and Heather think that Rick's hesitation toward Derek was just because Rick didn't recommend him, and maybe there's some residual attitude from their initial reaction to the plans. While he did fit the game room, media room, study, and five bedrooms they wanted, he expanded the square footage from 3,500 to 4,800 square feet. But the house finally feels like it's within reach, and they're hoping to get construction complete before Heather's bed rest with her second pregnancy. After all, their income is going to take a big hit, but for now, the new home is like on the horizon. They just need to get their construction loan, which shouldn't be a problem. So ready to get things moving, Brian and Heather set up a meeting with the mortgage company that they got their original loan with to get the construction loan going. They told their loan officer all about the struggles they've had so far with the, with the process. The demolition getting stopped as soon as it started, the issues with the plans getting done, and the difficulty of finding a builder that meets their budget. The loan officer stops them and says, wait, did I hear you right? You already started demolition? Well, yeah, we were just trying to get things moving, they said. The loan officer got very serious very quickly and says, you violated the terms of your loan by starting to tear down this house. That property technically belongs to the bank, and you can't damage the collateral. She tells them that the bank is going to have to call the note, and it's going to start foreclosure proceedings if they don't get a construction loan in place in the next 30 days. They ask about just doing the construction loan through this mortgage company, but the officer tells them that really their only loan programs are for renovations. So at this point, they're back to being pretty defeated and obviously worried about finding another bank quickly. So on the way home, they decide to stop into some local banks. At every bank they go to, they get a similar story. The banks require 25 to 30% down on the project cost which is the cost of the land and the construction combined. That project cost now sits at well over a million dollars, which means the down payment is over $250,000. As a last resort, they decide to stop into a big national chain bank, which they also have some credit cards through. This bank, they find out, is offering a construction loan with only 20% down, which it's a much better deal. And even though it's still more than they planned on, Brian thinks he can probably ask his parents to help him out. The loan officer tells him he just needs Derek's information to make sure that he's registered with them. And being a new builder, of course, he isn't. It's going to prolong the process just a little bit as they gather and check references, get insurance inf information, and enter Derek into their system. It takes a few weeks, but Derek is able to pull together all the information they need. The last things the bank asks for are an appraisal, which they, they will do based on Rick's plans, and a construction contract, which is something they haven't even started talking about yet beyond just agreeing to this cost plus arrangement. Since Derek's new, he doesn't have any contract, 
So they decide to meet up at the coffee shop again to hash out some details that will hopefully make them and the bank happy. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Your Project Shepherd Construction Podcast, your personal guide to the custom home construction process. We teach that in order to succeed, a construction project must have four key components demonstrated by a very simple drawing of a house. The foundation is planning, the left wall is your team, the right wall is communication, and the roof over the top is proper execution. Today's guest to my left is Jamie Wolf with First United Mortgage Group. Um, His company was number one in construction lending in Texas last year, and they provide a variety of products for new construction and renovation loans. Jamie, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Curtis. Appreciate it. I know your company has a little blurb uh, that we're supposed to say in the episode here, uh, so we'll just get it out of the way. Uh, Jamie Wolf, NMLS ID 353589, represents First United Mortgage Group, registered as First United Bank and Trust Company, NMLS ID 40025. First United is regulated by the FDIC and is an equal housing lender and is licensed to lend in all states. Additional information, including detailed information regarding credit costs and terms, is available by calling toll-free at 833-213-4778 or reach out to Jamie at 281-543-5488. Reach out to Jamie. (laughs) Okay. You got to love federal lending disclosures and uh, corporate CYA, so that was fun. Goes with the territory, so we got to do it. Thank you, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Uncle Sam. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're not going to get into specific uh, loan products or situations today, really, because we don't want to, you know, cross uh, cross that line of saying something we're not supposed to say, you know, get in trouble with the government or whatever. (laughs) But trouble with the company. (laughs) Yeah, the company too. Yeah, so uh, we'll speak generally about what a potential borrower should be thinking as they enter this process, Mm -hmm. and just kind of and speak in general terms. Um, so in the story that we've been following of uh, Brian and Heather, which our listeners just heard, um, they purchased this teardown home with a 30-year conventional, mor- conventional mortgage uh, with like you know 5% down. And I'm guessing they didn't disclose to the lender what they were doing uh, because you know a few months into the process, uh, the mortgage company sends an inspector by and you know lenders and insurance companies sometimes will send somebody by to check the collateral, make sure it's there, make sure there's not something weird going on, right? Um, so someone goes by, sees the house is in the middle of being torn down, and they, you know, they call the note uh, because the, the terms of the loan are being violated. Um, if you're not familiar with, familiar with that term, it just means that the loan is canceled because you violated it and you've got a very short amount of time to pay that loan back in full. Correct. Um, so they start scrambling, trying to find a bank that's going to give them the proper construction loan. Uh, but now they're finding out that instead of that 5% down, they had, you know, most construction lenders are wanting 20, 25, 30% down, which, you know, they don't have. So, you know, they're searching online because that's what they do is they search online. So they find their house plans and everything else. They, They search online and they find a big, you know, national bank that, uh, who, who they already have a credit card with. And this, bank offers construction loans. They're like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, 20% down, they borrow some money from mom and dad to, to make it happen. So all of that uh, to say, these folks went into this process very uneducated. Um, they're making a ton of mistakes so far. The first big mistake here was just not disclosing to the lender what they were going to do. Correct. If they had just told the, their, their lender up front what their plan was, probably would have avoided some of that. So you know, in the situation for a new home, what's the right way 
for somebody to approach this process? Well, number one, uh, financial diligence. They need to speak to a competent lender that knows construction lending, okay? And they need to know what their options are and what their risks are going into any project, right? Um, If they want to buy a house and their intention is to tear it down, then they need to disclose that up front to the lender. They need to tell them. Uh, that's not to say that you can't, con- I mean, you can get a conventional loan. It, usually it would be an investment property loan, mm-hmm. right? If you're not occupying that property, right. as long as the house is livable, right? So you can obtain one of those. And then you've got to get your construction loan in place and ready to go before you tear that house down. Because once you tear the house down, you've violated the mortgage yep. and they will call the note if they find out. Right. right. Big question. Will they find out? Who knows? But why take the risk? Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it's very important for them to talk about this and be very upfront about what they're doing. Um, occupancy is probably one of the primary things that we look at with mm-hmm. construction loans. It's got to be your primary residence uh, for the majority of uh, construction loans for consumers. Right. So if you buy a property, let's say you live in a house and you buy this other property as an investment property, and your intention is to tear it down before you buy that investment property, or if you paid cash, before you put that cash into buying that house or that lot or whatever, you need to make sure that you're qualified for the construction loan, and you need to know what type of construction loan you're going to qualify for, right? You have one-time close, and you have two-time close, and a two-time close, that requires that you be qualified twice in the process and a lot can change over the course of building a <laughs> yeah, house. one or two years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you need to do your diligence with a lender that knows what they're doing. Right. Um, and you need to get facts, right? You need to get facts about the process. Um, you know, in their case, they had already purchased the house and it was their primary residence. They were living in it. Oh, the one that they bought that, that's being torn down? Right. Oh, no, they still have their other house. Oh, okay. So yeah. Their, yeah, their intention was to buy, tear down, oh, yeah. and build all the way along, and they're living in that other house. Right. I got you. Yeah, so up front, you know, they're, the lender is going to do their diligence on them too, right? If they have a house and they're living in it and they're buying another property, if they say that's going to be my primary residence— and they're trying to do that just to obtain a primary residence loan. Well, the deed of trust on this primary residence mortgage says you're moving into the house within 60 days, right? And anytime you retain property in the mortgage process, you may be asked by underwriting, what is your intention? Write it down, state it for us, right? Yeah. So you want to have the facts out. You want them to be completely clear so they don't get caught in a, in a tough position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people can keep an, a, a second existing residence during this process. I mean, it's pretty common for people, for people not to sell their house yet, uh, as long as they can qualify to carry both, both of those mortgages at once, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. So if you have a house that you live in right now and you've got taxes and insurance liability, you may not even have a mortgage, but you still have that liability uh, on that property. That's all factored into the qualification for the new mortgage. And depending on the lender that you're working with, you will have different limitations on your debt to income ratio, okay, as to which program you're going to qualify for, if it's a one-time close or a two-time close, okay? So um, what are some general qualifications? Again, I know every situation is a little bit different, but what are some general qualifications for a borrower? Um, Things like, you know, the ratios, liquidity, credit scores, things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, there's because there's a variety of lenders out there with their own loan programs. I can't tell you exactly yeah. what it is, but in general, yeah. um, you need to have better than average credit. If mm-hmm. you have low credit scores, you're probably not going to be approved for a, you know, a construction loan. Um, you've got to have reserves. That's probably the key thing right now, especially to have some money in the bank post closing mm-hmm. after this project is commenced and finished, right? Um, so there's reserve requirements on construction loans, home improvement loans as well. Um, you need steady employment. Um, I think probably the biggest risk lies with self-employed individuals that are trying to do this because self-employed loans are already a little more difficult than typical loans with your W-2 borrower. There's a, an analysis of your income and it's a net number at the end of the day. And you know, if you're filing a new tax return and your qualifications were based upon the previous two years, and your next tax return comes down and your income has declined, then you may not be approved for the loan. So in that case, that person should have obtained a one-time close construction loan, not a two-time close. Right. They're qualified um, you know, based upon their current information for that loan. They close on it. Their terms are locked in. They're safe, hopefully with a 30-year fixed rate one-time close, but even a five-year arm or seven-year arm gives them some time after the loan is closed or after the construction conversion occurs to refinance that again into long-term financing that they want. If it's even required, they may end up with a good enough rate on the one-time close that they don't need to do that. For self-employed, they generally want to see like a a decent length of time as self-employed or in business, right? Correct. Not like a a new startup venture uh, that you're involved in, right? Yeah, yeah, in general, you got to have two years of tax returns to be analyzed. Um, In some cases, it could be uh, a shorter period of time, yeah. but rarely. I guess a lot of that can relate also to what um, to what you're putting down as far as equity goes. You know, you're putting down 50% equity. It, it changes maybe a little bit some of the other stuff, right? Well, it can. I mean, when you're when you have more equity in a project, um, you know, or you have more, you know, a larger down payment, same thing. Um, then the loan is considered less risky because they're yeah. less likely to walk away from the loan. Does that change the way that the income is? qualified? It doesn't. Mm-hmm. You still got to have that income and it's still got to support all of the debt to the rate that the lender requires. Right. Right. I guess though that that, that loan amount would be less though if, they're, if they have like 50% equity. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a smaller loan amount, smaller loan payment. So the income ratios could be Sure. Yeah, of course. That would be different. one. Yeah. That would be one way to offset it if you were, a, you know, a little high on your debt ratio to put a little bit more money down on the deal. One thing I've seen a lot of times is that a banks, uh, especially like uh, smaller banks, they want to have a relationship, uh, meaning they want you to move some accounts there or already have accounts there. Is that is that the case most of the time, or is that usually just the smaller lenders? Well, I mean, it that actually occurs uh, in some cases. Uh, you know, like a imp- home improvement loan. I'll give you a, you know, a little story, right? So uh, when I bought my house 15 years ago, I immediately needed to expand the home, right? Make it a larger and to take in the garage for a playroom for kids, et cetera. But our budget was pretty limited, right? And we had purchased that house, put 20% down. Now I went after the closing and obtained a home improvement loan in second lien position, right? And I used those funds to do the project, combined with some of my own money. Um, That bank required me to open up a checking account because the proceeds of the home improvement loan were going to be deposited into that account, right? Do I have a a major banking relationship with them? Um, I don't, but 
I was able to open accounts for my kids at the age of 11 and 12 with this bank and get them started that way. So it was a good thing. You know, sometimes you get hooked up with a bank and later on down the line, you have a need. And because you've done business with them, they're going to help you. Um, When it's a requirement, right, to put some money down into an account, something like that, you're getting something very special, right? Um, Some banks, you know, they do a doctor's loan, professional loan, something like that may require direct deposit of their pay because they want that client's business for life to give them 100% finance or whatever it might be that that bank is, is, uh, is giving them, right? Um, you know, our bank, we don't require uh, anybody to open an account or move money or anything like that. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I've, over the years, I've seen that be less and less common. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 years ago, I think I saw that a lot more where banks, they're like, hey, if we're going to loan you, loan you a million bucks, we want you to move some accounts, you right. know, move some considerable accounts over here. But I think it's, that's less common these days. Yeah. And I think it, you know, if you think about how hard it is to kind of untangle yourself from your banking relationship, when a lot of it is, you know, online bill pay and things like that, um, it, it, you know, it can actually prevent you from going and doing business with that lender for a construction loan. You may go, heck no, let's yeah. find somebody who doesn't want that. Yeah. Again, you know, like direction. 20 years ago, mm-hmm. people, I mean, yeah, there, there was some online bill pay 20 years ago, right? We're not that ancient, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, okay. We are. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's not to the extent that it is now, you know, right. 20 years ago, I was still writing checks on a regular basis, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, so you mentioned one-time close, two-time close, all that stuff a, a few minutes ago. Um, you know, let's pretend that I'm dumb, which is a good assumption. Um, no, but, but, but for our listeners who may not know the construction, the lingo, the lender lingo, Mm -hmm. talk about the difference between a one-time close and a two-time close. Maybe it's obvious, but go ahead and talk about the difference between those two products. Sure. Sure. So a one-time close construction loan, right? Um, the money is lent out. Okay. Um, let's start over on that. I screwed up. Okay. All right. Okay. So on a one-time close, um, there is one loan. You qualify for that construction loan and you obtain that rate that is locked in, right? The rate's a little higher than you would see for the standard conforming or, you know, purchase loan because it's being held for a year, a year and a half before it converts to the fully, you know, fully amortized loan, right? Um, A one-time close, in my opinion, is better because the end result and also because of the diligence. A one-time close, you're gonna qualify one time for that loan, you're gonna close that loan on the other end, or it's gonna convert right after the construction is over, and once it converts, you have permanent financing for a period of time, maybe yeah. a 30-year fixed, might be a five-year arm, with a five-year lock-in period, and that gives you some time to refinance that loan to long-term fixed-rate financing. Now, a, a two-time close is designed to do that, right? It may be that you take out the construction loan for 18 months, 12 months, 18 months, and it's expected at the end of that construction loan that there will be a takeout of the construction loan with a refinance, which means the borrower has to qualify again for that loan. So, um, you know, sometimes people don't qualify for a one-time close, okay? They need, a, they have to do a two-time close. Right. And in that case, they need to fully understand what their risks are during that construction period and what could happen at the end of the day, right? Have a plan, a plan B, plan C, all of it in place, right? So with the two-time close, I guess people could, 
the second time finance with another lender if they chose to. So they, they would just do the construction loan with that construction lender and then they could finance it with the same bank if they if they uh, agreed to terms or they could shop it out and might get a better long-term rate somewhere else if they wanted to. So they have the advantage of, hey, we can shop this out at the end of this process if we want to. Of course, the downside is like right now, like over the last you know uh, year that we've had, uh, people wish they had done one time, one time, one time <laughs> closes. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh well, you know, the, we'll ch- we'll check the rates. You know, eighteen months from now. Well, eighteen months from now, you're paying an extra point or whatever, right? Yeah, two. <laughs> yeah, it's two percent higher. So you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit when you choose that route. That's true. Or if that's the only route that you have to take, yeah. but you need to be prepared for that. And and you know, part of the part of our job as loan officers is to prepare you and say, okay, if you're, we're going to do a two-time close because that's what you qualify for. Now understand your risks. You're going to have to maintain your employment. You're going to have to have even income. Can't be declining necessarily. Um, You've got to have reserves in the bank. You need to maintain these things because when the time comes, you're going to have to qualify for a refinance. And if you've lost your job or whatever, you're going to have to hope that the construction lender will extend it until you can be qualified to take that out. Yeah. Don't right. go out and buy a boat no. or a ranch or whatever <laughs> in the middle of the process, unless you have the cash to yeah. to cover that, right? But That's true. But, you know, one <laughs> of the, I mean, I'd say one of the biggest mistakes I see people make um, are assumptions, just assuming that everything's going to be fine. Uh, just because they have a lot of money in, in the bank or, uh, you know, they have a high paying job at that time, they, they don't do any bi- financial diligence up front. If they're not doing that and they've contracted a builder to build a home for them and they're expected to obtain financing, then they find out they cannot after putting up non-refundable deposits that can be quite high and they're in trouble. Then you're going to be looking for help from family members, co-borrowers, <laughs> whatever you can to cobble together a loan to make it work. That's why the one-time close is preferred, right? The worst that can happen is you're in, you know, on a one-time close, perhaps your costs go up through the process of building, which is by no fault of the builder or uh, or of them, right? Okay, like we're seeing right now. But uh, you know, a responsible lender is going to qualify you with a reserve. They're going to qualify you for more than you need. Yeah. And make sure you're covered. What kind of reserve do y'all typically? Ten percent. Ten percent. So you know, if it's a you know a nine hundred thousand dollar loan, we'd qualify you for nine ninety, just in case your material cost goes up and you need that. Your end loan necessarily won't be that high. We would lower it back down to right. where it needs to be. Well, that's smart because in, it may not just be cost going up. They may decide, hey, let's upgrade that <laughs> stove to a wolf range, and, and, and you know that's an extra ten thousand dollars or whatever it is, right? That's oh, yeah. that's there to to kind of cover situations like that as well. If they're what like, they, hey, let's. What do they call it? Job creep. Yeah, scope creep. <laughs> scope creep. Yeah, scope yeah. creep. <laughs> yes. Um, you you mentioned um, uh, arms. Uh, mm. I think of arms being something that went away, uh, you know, 15 years ago during that whole loan crisis thing that we went through when they were really hot back then. Mm-hmm. Are arms still being used and popular these days? Well, they're coming back in vogue a little bit just due to the interest rates going up in general. You can get a break on an arm on the rate. Um, some people will do that, right, with the anticipation of rates coming down and refinancing it later on, right? anticipation of rates coming down is another assumption, <laughs> right? I buy a fan of an adjustable rate loan, not necessarily 
unless that client knows that they're going to pay the loan off within that time period or they're capable of paying it off. Or they know or they're going to refi. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main topic here is is new custom homes, but you guys also do a lot of renovation loans, um, stuff like that. So just tell the folks what other kinds of uh, products you guys offer for those, those other situations. Okay. So we will do um, purchase renovation loans. Okay. Um, a purchase renovation, let's say you find a house and uh, it hasn't been, it's still got the pea green stove, right? It's yeah. old and it needs a lot of work. Um, and you know, you could buy the house for a pretty good price, but your whole intention is to update that home. We can do a purchase renovation. It just requires a slightly longer closing period because they're going to have to squeeze in their builder diligence during yeah. that time period, right? So we would approve the builder, okay? And we would approve the loan. And then we would uh, go ahead and, and do the construction loan from the start, okay? Uh, if there's time for that and a willing seller that'll give you the time, that's preferred, right? Um, so that'd be a jumbo renovation loan. Now, Fannie Mae has their home style loan, right? Which allows you to, you know, roll in uh, uh, upgrades on a conventional loan, but it's maxed out at the conforming loan limit, right? Which uh, six forty eight two hundred, right? Random numbers, right? Yeah. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Yes, but in most cases, if you're building a home, it depends on where you live, of course, and what your equity position is in your lot, et cetera. You may not need, or you may not be able to do a loan like that. You'll need more money. That's where the jumbo renovation loans come in handy. And it's really just like a mini construction loan. You know, I mean, there's there's no real line to draw, but if you're tearing the house down to the studs and putting a second floor on it and everything else, then it's really a, it's a construction loan from the start, right? Um, yeah, you know, but we'll do a, a refinance as well. So a refinance construction loan where you own the house already and you have equity in the lot. Cash out refi is that well, called? Well, that's a different type of loan. It, de- it, it depends upon how much cash you need to do the project. And, you know, in the past, I've, I've done different structures for loans. You know, I'll, I'll use an example. I had a borrower uh, a little while back that had a house and had some equity in it. And he was planning on doing a improvement project to that house. Um, and he needed quite a bit, but there wasn't enough equity in the house. So what we did is we did a home equity loan in first lien position, took out or paid off his first mortgage, lent him the maximum, which I believe at that time was about 400 that he took out. And then after he closed, because he had a first lien equity loan, his only option to get more money to improve the house in second lien position was a home improvement loan. Home improvement loans are not considered equity loans. So you can stack a home improvement loan on top of a first lien equity loan. Okay. Texas law only allows you to have one equity loan on your house at a time. So that's one way to maximize your equity in a house you already own, right? Uh, if you're happy with your first lien mortgage and you don't want to touch it, then you could leave it alone and borrow everything you need if the numbers work out and second lien position for a home improvement loan. Uh, our bank doesn't do home improvement loans in second lien position right now, um, but this is very important. It, it doesn't matter who you end up with working as your loan officer. Of course, you want somebody who knows what they're talking about, um, and they'll, they should be able to talk to you thoroughly and explain construction lending to you, even if they don't have the product. And if they don't have the product, they need to have good people that they rely on to send you to 
to execute that loan. Same way a builder would need, you know, construction lenders to do the same for their clients. We just want to make sure that the client gets their uh, project done the correct way. Great. Um, what what kind of mistakes? We we touched on this a little bit a while ago, but what kind of mistakes do you see people making um, entering this process? You well, for example, you mentioned going into something and putting down a bunch of money with a builder or uh, earnest money or something, and then having to walk away from that because they maybe made some assumptions. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, automatically, the I'm going to say assumptions. It's always what gets you and you know the phrase, right? So I don't need to repeat it here. But you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that will go into a project thinking they can get it done exactly the way they want to do it without doing the lender diligence side, without understanding the risks, and they get stuck in a position that they can't get out of. Right? That's what you want to avoid at all costs. Or yeah. thinking there's a solution for any for any problem, which in some cases there are there isn't a solution. So assuming and not doing the lender diligence up front is probably the key thing before buying a house, building a house or anything, make sure you know what you can afford and be approved for. Uh, that's, that's really the biggest mistake right there. Yeah. I mean, that's why in, in my little house diagram that I, I described at the beginning, you know, kind of the foundation of that is proper planning, you know, and, and one of the walls building your team. So the lender is part of the team uh, and, and you guys have to be on board early you know we say that when you want to go into a construction project you should you know and people don't think this way necessarily but they should choose their their lender you know they should have a, a good realtor because the, the lender and the realtor are going to work together a lot mm -hmm. um, so those two team members have got to be on board early um, and you know a builder and an architect if the builder is not doing design build um, because we all have to work together. You, you know, you guys have to look at the financial side of it. The realtor is going to advise them as to the, the neighborhoods and the pros and cons of, of the different properties. And then we're going to say, this is what you can and can't do on this property. Right. So if you go into the, pro the, the process without having one of those three minimum team members in place, you may get into the situation where you've got money into a deal and you have to walk away from it. I mean, we just we just saw that um, recently. Someone called me and uh, said they had uh, had a property under contract. They were out of their option period, and they called me to say, "Hey, can we build this here?" And I had to say, "Well, you know, they they gave me the address, and I looked it up. I'm like, nope, you can't do that there." And they're like, "Well, why not?" I'm like, "Well, it's in a floodway, and the city won't let you build that there." And wow. they're they're beyond their option period. They had to walk away from $10,000 earnest money. Ah. You know, thank goodness they hadn't put some big chunk of money down with a builder, but $10,000 is bad enough, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just having those key team members in place at the beginning. You know, at a, at a minimum, we say, you know, builder, lender, realtor, bare, bare minimum at the beginning. My architect friends would argue architect as well. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll, we'll throw them in. in them in there too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, having that team in place is, is absolutely key. Um, so changing gears a little bit from a, from a lender's perspective, um, when people are looking at various builders for doing their project, uh, what should, what should they be watching out for? You know, what are some red flags for people choosing a builder to work with? Choosing a builder? Uh, yeah. well, uh, from your, from your perspective, if, if they've done things in the right order, 
and they've gone to a lender and been pre-qualified at that point when they're selecting their builder, right? They go through their regular process. Maybe they interview three builders and they get some idea about what they want to do. If they are set on using the specific lender they're with, they're going to want to make sure that the builder is approved with the lender, you know, has the right insurance, all of those things that, that the lender requires. They yeah. wouldn't want to get too far down the road with the builder and then find out that lender doesn't work, then find out that lender, that one, and then they can't find yeah. a lender to do it for whatever reason, right? So um, they they should certainly do that, yeah. right? Uh, just get with their lender, make sure the lender is going to approve the builder as soon as possible, right? So in, in most, you know, if a builder is unwilling to turn over the documents required <laughs> to get the loan approved, there's probably ding, ding, ding. an issue. Yeah. And then more personally, I would probably say like, you know, we've done home improvement projects. Um, you know, whenever we did them, we would get referrals from friends who had used that specific company, the design services of that company. You know, we had a designer and then we had a builder when we did our project the second time. The first time I did not have a designer. I only had a builder and they did exactly what I wanted them to. And it didn't turn out the way I wanted. I wish that builder had told me to do it differently, but it didn't matter because the house turned out great and everything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to make sure that the builder has a good book of business and has examples for you to see. And I think, you know, the thing that impressed me the most um, when we were talking the builders when we did our our last remodel um was that they came with ideas that you know i had my own ideas they came with ideas of their own and we literally ended up doing everything they told us to do except except putting a wallpaper in the entry hall <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and it yeah. turned out great it turned out great so i think people with good ideas um that are that aren't afraid to challenge their assumptions about what they want Yes. So one of the things that you mentioned was, um, you know, the paperwork that the lender might require from the builder. And, you know, as, as a builder, I've gone through this process with numerous lenders over the years. And I think, um, you know, usually they ask for, um, you know, some references, some trade, uh, like some banking references, some trade references, trying to think what else, you know, how long in business, copies of your insurance, all your insurance, you know, and, and and like you said, if a builder is not willing to disclose that information, they're probably hiding something because, I mean, honestly, because every, every builder gets asked for these things with almost every project Mm -hmm. that a bank's involved with. And so if they're not wanting to cough up that info, there's probably something wrong there. Uh, You know, I wouldn't necessarily assume that there's a problem, right? Until I saw what they had. But if it's a if it's a drag on your process and they're not doing what is required, how could you expect them to do what's required later on? That's red flags for um, for builders. But um, what about people that maybe aren't the best suited to go through this process? You know, I I, I firmly believe that some people are probably better off just buying a house that's already built or buying a existing inventory, you know, um, whatever. Um, what, what kind of people do you think maybe aren't the best, aren't best suited to go through this process? Impatient people. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's it, usually when I sit down and talk to a borrower and they're asking about, you know, they're, maybe they're thinking about buying a property or building, right? Very common. Um, once I'm done explaining the construction process versus purchase process, 
you can kind of tell <laughs> if they're up to it, you yeah. know, if they've got what it takes, if, you know, if that marriage has what it takes or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so, you, you know, if you're a, I would say if you're a borderline credit, right. And maybe your income and your job history isn't very consistent and there's yeah. some risk that you may lose a job or whatever, or if you're very close on any of the numbers that we've talked about before, reserve requirements, things that are going to matter when it comes down to getting that loan approved, uh, either on a first, on a one-time or a two-time close. On the two-time close, people with risky finances, right? What I would say, maybe self-employed people, fluctuation, um, may run into more problems than somebody who's a standard W-2 employee that's worked with the same company for 15 years and as mm-hmm. a CEO or someone like that. <laughs> so, um, you know, first time home buyers usually have, they don't fully understand what they're getting into with, with building a home. Uh, that doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. If they're ready to do it and they're financially ready, we will not stop anybody from building sure. a house if they're qualified sure. and they understand the risks. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I think, you know, kind of the the culture is I want something and I want it now, even when, even if I'm not necessarily ready for it or qualified for it. They're like, oh, well, they have it, so I should be able to have that too. So, oh yeah, uh, I I think that mentality is, um, you know, we see it pop, pop up all the time. You know, and again, it goes back to expectations um, and assumptions. They're like, oh, I, I mean, I can, I can afford this. I can make this happen mm-hmm. um, without, you know, really thinking through all the requirements that, that they may not be aware of. So, right. Um, on the flip side of that, what, what is, uh, what is your ideal client? Your, your ideal borrower. If, 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 the one that does everything I ask them to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the one that me too. The one that doesn't shop interest rates. I mean, uh, yeah, me too. you know, an, an ideal client is just somebody who's ready to listen, right? Um, in, in many cases, they want to get it all out and tell you what they want and, and make demands of you without truly listening to what they're doing, right? Whether it's buying a home or whether it's you know, doing a construction loan or home improvement loan, cash out refinance. If they're not listening, right, then they're not going to get the whole picture. And I can type a five-page letter and explain it all to them, and they're not going to read it. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, ideally, a client that's going to listen and turn over documentation when asked quickly, right? Uh, the sooner we get documentation, the sooner we can truly pre-approve you for a loan. And I think a lot, what a lot of clients. Uh, might confuse is pre-qualification with pre-approval, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. I see, you know, that, you know, that dumb, you know, those two words thrown around a lot. Uh, are you pre-approved for this loan? Well, no, you're not. Not unless your loan has been into an underwriter's desk. Yeah. Right. It's pre-qualification. You're pre-qualified, <laughs> you know, pre-approved could also mean, you know, when we start a process with a, with a client, we'll take a loan application, look at the credit, and then we will look at the scenario and run it through one of the automated underwriting systems to mm-hmm. see what kind of results we get back. Then it will tell you you're pre-approved, but we still have to have the documentation required in those findings to yeah. get you approved. So, so someone who's ready to turn over loan documentation for us to review, mm-hmm. not fight us on it. Um, and they do that quickly, they're in a better position than they could possibly be in before they buy or even step into a new house that they want to buy. We talk about how people are, or they have a tendency to want to play things close to the vest, you know, when, when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, when you're building that team, you've got to be open with your team members. I mean, especially your, your, your banking relationship, your <laughs> lender, right? Um, but, you know, the builder, the architect, everybody has to really have the pulse on what you, you know, can and want to spend on something. Uh, if you're not honest about those numbers, th- this thing is not going to go very far. So, you know, you've got to tell us realistic numbers. If you have some weird situation, tell us about it. Um, you know, and, and then uh, turn turn those documents over when you're supposed to. That's, that, that, you know, just the same type of person that struggles with getting the, their loan stuff together is the same t- type of person that's going to struggle with going through the design process and the build process. It's like, you know, you have to be open and communicate with your whole, with your team. That's true. That's true. And you know, we have, we have to be empathetic to people's situations because not everybody is very techie or has all their documents in electronic format and ready to send right away. And that's where, you know, the the process of selecting a loan officer, uh, you know, you need to, you need to find somebody who can play by your rules to a degree, be empathetic, help you get the documents some way get approved, right? Um, you know, t- typically I may have, may perhaps, I'll, I'll do it without being ageist. My father, okay? <laughs> you know, doesn't know how to work a scanner or anything like that. I'm just kidding. He does. But most of his documents are printed in files. And if I asked him for all of them, he'd go, ah, you know, okay. <laughs> Give me a week. If he didn't work at an office with a high-speed scanner, he'd be running around town. In that case, I'd say, come to my office and let's meet. Let's take a look at what we need, what you have, and then we'll follow up with more and try to get exactly what we need after we see the first round of documents, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's being empathetic and understanding their scenario and, uh, you know, and, and obviously um, having somebody who's, who's going to be empathetic to what you're doing and want to help you get their loan approved. Yeah. Well, um, lastly, do you, do you have any do you have any stories for us about any any projects that have been uh, a struggle or anything that's uh, gone downhill that you can share with us? Well, I mean, my personal story with home improvement is kind of is kind of interesting because uh, you know we bought a house uh, about 15 years ago. It was too small for our family. I knew it when we bought it. I knew that I would be updating that house right away, uh, but I'd never done it before. Um, I had never done it. Uh, other than a little bathroom remodel that we'd done. So, uh, you know, I talked to a couple of uh, a couple of builders, did not have a lot of money to do what we really needed to do. So we had to focus in, you know, on what we could afford. Um, so we did a second lien home improvement loan, right? We did the home improvement loan. We expanded the size of the house. Uh, we did not do the surface remodels and all the things that my wife wanted to make the house look the way she wanted it to look but I promised her that we would do it in the future. So um, <laughs> it did come around 2014, 2013, actually. And uh, at that point, the market was very tight. It was a little bit like today's market when it comes to inventory. There wasn't a lot to pick from out there. And if you pick something, you were going to pay a premium for it. And we had kids in an elementary school and we didn't want to move them out of the elementary school. So she said, well, if you're going to buy a bigger house, because we wanted a pool and a bigger house, you can shop in this postage stamp and try to find something, right? (laughs) So we start shopping and we find a house that is a little unique, but it's got some potential and we thought we could get it for a pretty good deal. And um, in the end, uh, the realtor ended up uh, working with somebody else and selling it for 200,000 more than what we were willing to pay for it. 
uh, at that point we were stuck where we were and we made the decision, handshake, husband, wife deal. We're going to stay here a long time. We're going to make this worth it. So we did, we went out and we had equity in the home at the time and I didn't need a home improvement loan. I decided to do a home equity line of credit. Now that's an equity product. And I had a regular mortgage and first lien position at that point. So I could do that. We did a home equity line of credit and our intention was not to use every bit of it, but we did, right? And it was you know, getting into the project and finding out, well, if you're going to replace all the doors, you better do all of the uh, trim in the house too. You know, it's, it just naturally occurred. And then if you're going to do this, do that, do this, do that. So yeah, we ended up maxing out this line of credit. Um, and I, you know, I'm a conservative guy. I sweated for a year because it was prime plus a margin. And I'm, mm -hmm. oh God, what's going to happen if the rates go up in <laughs> one year, you know? But, uh, but we had to wait a year because on equity loans, you have to you have to have that loan for one year before you could refinance it. Plan all along was to combine it with my first lien into one loan at a lower rate. Mm -hmm. So we would have waited for a year. And then when the time come, we refinanced it into one loan. Um, so we were in a good, we were in a good position right there with what we had. And then later on, we refinanced it to an even better rate, you know, just recently. Yeah. So, Ooh. you know, it, and when you run the traps on all of it, it made sense. The home value kept going up. Right. Uh, but we also knew that, okay, this house, if anybody buys it, they're probably going to tear it down and build 5,500 square foot mansion. They're not going to want the house, maybe yeah. a tweener for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but any money that we put into the house, uh, we probably weren't going to get a lot of it back at that point. We realized that, but it was for us. It was, that's why we made the long-term commitment to be in the house and it's been worth it. Absolutely worth it. We've loved living in the home since then. That's a great point, actually, that you made about um, doing it for you, because we have people all the time that are like, what, you know, what about resale? What about resale? I mean, resale is important, but there's a, you know, you're building this house for you, not for somebody else, or you're remodeling this house for you and not for somebody else. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we encourage people not to always think just resale, resale. If you're building a house for resale, if you're building a custom house for resale, it's it's the wrong way to go. Like you will never get your money back out of a custom house, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in a, a short period of time. That's true. So if you're concerned about that, just go buy something that's already sitting there. Yeah, it's like you know we had the other option we were thinking about doing was putting in a swimming pool, um, and we we wanted one. We really wanted a pool to raise our kids and have the pool and all that stuff. Um, but then we had a pool company come out and look at it. And by the time they were telling us how many trees we had to have removed and how many pipes we had to have moved, how much leveling we had to have done, that price was three times, <laughs> two times as high, three times as high as what yeah. we expected. Pools are right? expensive. But we did the diligence and we talked to them and we understood. And, you know, and, and also being a lender, we examine appraisals all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we'll, you know, put, go out there, try to attain the value on a refinance um, in those circumstances. And when the value comes at a certain level uh, and the borrower says, well, wait a minute, I just spent $120,000 on that incredible backyard <laughs> pool and, uh, you know, kitchen and all that stuff. And on the appraisal, maybe they don't get 120,000. No. It's a fraction of that in the value. The pool is for them. It's yeah. for them. Just like you said, it's for your enjoyment while you own the home. And if you get, if it appeals to someone who wants to buy it in the future, great. Right. Um, 
I'll tell you, just doing that work on the house and back in 2014 in the spring, I still walk around the house and cross my arms and look around. I like this place, you know, still hadn't lost the new car smell. So, you know, (laughs) um, I think we did the right thing, you know, and, and we could potentially live there a very, very, very long time for the size of our family. We wouldn't have to move. So we think we made the right decision. I think, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, people need to think about when they're taking on a remodel project. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, it's been great talking about construction lending with you. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you being on the show with us, and I hope that we've answered some questions for folks about that process. Um, so tell people how they can contact you if they would like to talk to you about your loan products. Sure. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you for having me on the show. Sure. You're welcome. appreciate that. Um, yes. If you want to get in contact with me, probably the best way to do it uh, is to email me at jamie.wolf at firstunitedbank.com. But better yet, text me or call me at 281-543-5488. Awesome. And, and just to, uh, to mention, you guys do loans all over Texas, right? Are, are y'all in other states as well? But all 50 states. Okay. So if you like what you're hearing from Jamie and you're not in the Houston area, give him a call. I'm sure he has some contacts and, and, and someone in his other branches that could help you that he could refer you to if he can't personally do it. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, team building. Um, within the lending business, we do it ourselves. We find out who can get the job done for our clients. If we can't do it, we're going to find someone who can. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that does it for this episode of the Your Project Shepherd Construction Podcast. Remember that every successful project has those four key components that we mentioned earlier, represented by a very simple drawing of a house. The foundation is planning, the left wall is your team, the right wall is is communication, and the roof protecting it all is proper execution. Have all those components in place and your project will succeed. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will talk to attorney Carolyn Cromines about construction contracts and legal matters. I hope you can join us then. Bye-bye.